All right, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians this morning. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 12 down through verse 20. As soon as you find Colossians 1.12, stand to your feet. And if your neighbor does not have a Bible this morning, allow them to look on with you as we read together. Colossians chapter 1. One of the churches that is mentioned in the book of Colossians is the church at Laodicea, the place of Laodicea. And uh, we are living in what I believe is the Laodicean church age. That doesn't mean we need to be or we are destined to be a Laodicean church. I don't believe that at all. But overall, the, 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 the church period that we're in today has the characteristics of the Laodicean church in, uh, in, the, uh, in the book of Revelation in chapter, in chapter 3. Uh, because that's true, what we're looking at this morning is of absolute utmost importance. And uh, both, both messages, both the one this morning and the one tonight, just, just going to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, uh, look at, at uh, some things about our Savior that I think will be a blessing and a help to us. In, in Colossians 1, verses 12 through 20, Verse 12, verse 12 says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is, a, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to, to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in heaven or, or whether they be things in earth or things in, 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 in heaven. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we ask your blessings upon your word this morning. And Lord, as, as the Lord Jesus Christ is lifted up, you've told us that if you be lifted up, you'll draw all men unto you. Father, I pray that our hearts would be drawn to you this morning. We would realize just how great and how wonderful a Savior that we have. We ask, Father, that you would uh, prepare our hearts even right now to receive your word, and Lord, may the Spirit of God have freedom in this place th this morning. We ask God that you'd speak to our hearts, 
by your spirit and through your word. And we'll be careful to thank you and praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I want to draw your attention particularly to verse 18. We're going to be going down through the, through the passage. But in verse 18, it says, And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The uh, theme of the, in the entire book of Colossians is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And the reason why uh, God addressed this, this uh, subject of preeminence is that in, Coloss in Colossae, there were people that, that recognized the fact that Jesus was extraordinary, that Jesus was a good teacher, that Jesus was sent from God. And you, you, hear, that, you hear that rung throughout throughout the world today, uh, folks are not necessarily quick to criticize him overall, but they won't give him the position that he really deserves. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's more than just a good teacher. He's more than just a good example. Uh, he is God of very gods, and therefore he deserves the preeminence. And, and uh, what, what the book of Colossians does is lift up the Lord Jesus Christ to his rightful position. Preeminence or being preeminent just simply means to be superior in excellence, to be on the top, first place. And Paul proved uh, th through Christ's uh, positions that he has uh, four positions that he speaks of in particular, uh, that, that Jesus Christ is and should be preeminent in our lives. First of all, the first position that, that he points out about the Lord Jesus is the fact that he's Savior. Look down in verses 13 and 14. It says, "...who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption." Through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And it should not surprise you that when, when uh, uh, so-called scholars attack verses, they attack verses like verse 14, and they say the, the, the term uh, through his blood should not be in the Scripture. Uh, no, it should be in the Scripture because that's how we re have redemption. We have redemption through his blood. And he is our Savior, and he did four things for us. First of all, he delivered us. In verse 13, it says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? Uh, we were held captive uh, by the power of darkness before we were saved. Uh, we, were, we were destined for damnation. The Bible says, He that believeth is not condemned, uh, John 3, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Uh, Christ came to save us from that condemnation. And, and uh, we're held captive because we're sinners. We, 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 we were born sinners and we'll die sinners, but we can, we can die saved sinners if we'll trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Take your Bibles, keep your finger here, but go with me over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 2 and 3 tells us what our 
state was before salvation. It says, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That, that's speaking of the devil. The, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in time past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Uh, that was the state of all of us before we trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Go with me over to Romans 6. Romans chapter 6. And in Romans 6, look down in verses 17 and 18. Romans 6, 17 and 18. Romans 6, 17 says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. We, we did that when Christ delivered us. Uh, look down in verses 20 through 22. Verse 20, For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? After the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto, unto holiness and the end everlasting life. God delivered us uh, from those things. He delivered us from the power of darkness uh, by, by giving us eternal life. Not only did he deliver us because he's our Savior, but he translated us. Look in, in uh, uh, ver verse uh, back to, to verse 13, and it says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the, the kingdom of his dear Son. In other words, he picked us up out of the kingdom of darkness and he put us into the kingdom of his dear son. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, that's called the kingdom of God. And the Bible makes it very clear that that kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, of joy, and of peace in the Holy Ghost. Uh, boy, what a, what a difference. Yeah, you, you, you get translated from darkness, you get pulled out of darkness, and you get thrust into righteousness, joy, and peace. Uh, it's very similar, really, in, in illustration to what God did with Israel when he delivered Israel out of Egypt. He took them out of Egypt, brought them into the wilderness, and eventually took them all the way to the promised land. But, uh, and he provided for them in the wilderness, and then he provided for them and gave them victory in the promised land. Before that, they were slaves. Before that, they, had, they really had had uh, uh, no, no uh, uh, say in anything that happened in their lives because they were slaves to Egypt. And just like Israel was a slave to Egypt, before you got saved, you were a slave to sin. And God delivered you from that because he's your savior if you've trusted him and, and him alone to, to give you eternal life. Uh, you know, uh, our... our, our entire Christian life ought to be reflective of the fact that we were in darkness, but now we're in light. And that's why God tells us that we ought to act like children of light, because we don't have to sin. In fact, that's what Romans 6 
is all about, that we have been freed from that power of sin, and now we can serve the Lord Jesus Christ and we can serve righteousness. The other thing that, that, that he did, he not only delivered us and he translated us, but he redeemed us. Look at verse 14. It says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Uh, he says that, we, that he redeemed us, and he redeemed us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, that redeem means to rescue, means to ransom, means to liberate from captivity or from bondage. And, and Christ met the demands of the law. He's the only one that could. The reason why he met those demands is because you and I could not do so in our sin. But because Jesus Christ is pure and Jesus Christ is righteous and Jesus Christ is God, he could deliver us and he could redeem us and buy us back. Uh, he met those demands. The Bible's, Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And, and, and the thing is, the blood has to be a special kind of blood. Uh, it has to be pure blood. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, look with me in verses 22 down through the end of the chapter. Verse 22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. And that's the reason why they sacrificed bulls and goats. But that was not a permanent thing. That was a temporary thing looking forward to the permanent sacrifice, the final sacrifice by the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. Verse 23, it was therefore necessary that the patterns of, of, of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself." And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered, was once offered to, to bear the sins of many unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. You know, that, that, that verse right there, that last verse, tells you that, that uh, anytime anybody says, like the, the Catholic Church says that, that uh, every time they take communion, it's a sacrifice of Jesus Christ. No, it's not. Because he was only sacrificed once. Only once. And he was sacrificed for our sins. Once for all. We've got a song that we sing. 
Once for all, O sinner, repeat it. Once for all, O brother, believe it. Uh, you know, we, we, he only had to die once, and he only made a sacrifice once. The other sacrifices were numerous, but they were looking forward to the final sacrifice when Jesus Christ finally and forever uh, bought our salvation and paid the full price for the forgiveness of our sins. Look with me in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at these two verses, verses 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 1. And look at verses 18 and 19, and this is the key. This is the reason why the priests uh, sacrificed the, the blood of bulls and goats over and over and over again. But when Christ came and, and was the sacrifice, it only needed to be once because of this fact right here. Verse 18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot. You go over to, to uh, Acts chapter 20 and look in verse 28. It says that when Christ, when Christ sacrificed himself and gave his blood, that that blood was not ordinary blood. It was the blood of God. It was God's blood. And that blood is absolutely pure. That blood is absolutely spotless. And that's why the sacrifice only had to be made once because once it was made, it was final and forever. Well, he's our savior because he, he delivered us, he translated us, he redeemed us, and then he forgave us. Again, back to verse 14 of Colossians 1, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Uh, to be forgiven means to cancel or remove a debt and he could do this because he paid for it. He didn't pay most of it. He didn't pay much of it. He paid all of our sin debt. He paid for our past sins, our present sins, our future sins. They're all covered underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, but, but understand this. You know, and, and I asked this question before I got saved, and I've heard it over and over again, not only before a person's gotten saved, but I've even heard it from people that are, are already saved. You know, they said, well, if you have forgiveness then and you're forgiven of all your sins, then, then you have an excuse to sin after you've been forgiven. No, no, you don't have an excuse to sin. You've got an encouragement not to sin. There's a big difference. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Back up just a little bit. You're in Colossians and Philippians and Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. And look in verse 30. Verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. In other words, there's no excuse for any of that stuff if you're, if you're a believer, if you're, if you're saved. Verse 32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God 
for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. In other words, because he did that for you, you ought to be thankful for it. And rather than use your forgiveness as an excuse for sin, you ought, you ought, to, you ought to use it as, a, as an encouragement not to sin. Look with me over in Colossians chapter 3 and look in verse 13, very similar type of verse. It says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So in other words, because Christ has forgiven us all our sin and, and uh, redeemed us, we, we ought to be quick to, to not want to sin and, and to forgive others. So first and foremost, he's our, he's our Savior. And because he's our savior, he deserves the preeminence. But secondly, he's not only savior, but he's also creator. Go to Colossians 1 and look in verses 15 through 17. Verse 15 says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Um, he was, obviously, because he was the creator, he was before the creation. He's the Im image of the invisible God. In John chapter 14 and verse 9, it said, Jesus said this uh, to the to, uh, to to, to those that he was speaking to, he said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Why? Because he's equal with the Father. In Christ was all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was before creation. He created all things. In, in uh, verse, verse 16 of Colossians 1, it says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Uh, he, he, uh, he is the one who created all things. In John chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ was the creator and is the creator. Uh, take, your, take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44. And this verse knocks out the Jehovah's Witnesses. It knocks out the Mormons. Knocks out anybody who tries to denigrate Jesus to being a created God. Because it makes it very clear that Jesus is equal with the Father, that Jesus is God, and that he created all things. Uh, look with me in um, Isaiah 44 and verse 24. Isaiah 44 and verse 24. Verse 24 says this, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord, that maketh all things. Now, one of the things you need to understand in the Old Testament, whenever you find the word Lord and it's spelled the way that you see in your King James Bible, capital L, capital O, capital R, 
capital D. That's always referring to Jehovah God. That's the way the translators did it. And why, why they, they put them all capitals was to, to designate that. So he says, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. He didn't have any help. So it's not talking about, it's, it's not saying that, that uh, uh, he got help from Jesus. No, Jesus is God. They are one, and by himself he created all things. If he created all things by himself, according to Isaiah, and then over in, in uh, uh, Colossians, it says he created all things, then it's obvious Jesus is God, and, and he is the creator of everything. Uh, go with me over to, uh, uh, well, go back to, to, to Colossians chapter 1. Look again at verse 16. It says, For by him were all things created that are in, in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, so he created all things, and then he says the purpose why he created all things. It says all things were created by him and for him. So he not only created all things, but all things exist for him. Uh, turn, turn with me to the last book of your Bible, book of Revelation, and go to chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 gives us a picture of God on his throne. And in verse 9, it says, And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, obviously that's the Lord, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. The whole reason why He created everything that He created was for His own pleasure. Those things exist for Him. That means you exist, I exist. For the pleasure of God. We're not here for our own pleasure. That's not why God left us on the earth. He left us on the earth so that we could please him. And that ought to be the bottom line in everything in our lives, whether it be giving, whether it be soul winning, whether it be taking care of a family, whether it be going to work and making a living, whether, whether it be taking care of your home and taking care of your yard, doing the dishes, doing the laundry, whatever it is, we ought to do all things in order to please him because the whole reason why we're in existence is for his pleasure because he created all things. Then, then uh, uh, all things consist by his power. If you go back with me to Colossians 1, look at verse 17. It says, and he is before all things. In other words, he has the preeminence. And by him, all things consist. Anytime, if God wanted to, 
set off an atom bomb, he could do it. Because all things consist by him. Uh, there's, there's, there's nothing that, that is in existence the, today that isn't in existence because of the power of God. All things consist by him. He, he, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says about the Lord Jesus, says, upholding all things by the word of his power. He keeps everything together. He keeps everything in existence. And, and not only is, is, uh, is, is he the, the, the creator, and not only is he the savior, but he's, he's preeminent because he's the head of the body of the church. Go back with me to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. It says, And he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. In all things he might have the preeminence. Now that word, that word church is used two ways in Scripture. The first way is, is it's used to, to speak of the body of Christ. Body of Christ meaning that which we were placed into when we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. Romans chapter 6 tells us that when we believed, we were placed into Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 says, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Now again, he's talking to save people. He's not talking about water baptism. We'll see that in the verse. It says, it says For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether, it be, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be uh, bond or free, and we've all been made to partake in one spirit. That happened the, the moment you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. You were placed into the body of Christ. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why you know you're eternally secure, because you're already a part of him, because you're placed in him. Uh, you are a part of uh, of, of, of the, the body of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2. Uh, look with me in Colossians 2, verses, verses uh, 9 through 13. In verse 9, the Lord says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the, of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. And again, that baptism and that faith is all spiritual. Uh, it's not talking about water baptism. It's talking about what happened when you believed on Christ, who hath raised him from the dead, and you being, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Uh, that's that's the, the church, the body of Christ. The second, the second way the word church is used is talking about the local body. And he's speaking, when, whenever Paul wrote, he wrote to the church at Ephesus. He wrote to the church at Philippi. He was talking about a, a local body. 
what this patch is, is talking about is, is about the spiritual body of Christ that all of us become a member of the moment that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and uh, he uses the term firstborn. And he uses that term firstborn in, in reference to the Lord Jesus in connection with his death. Uh, others in the past, in fact, Jesus Christ raised some people from the dead. But every time they got raised, they got raised and, and took on their, their same natural body. When Jesus Christ raised from the dead, he didn't take his same natural body. He took on a spiritual body. And that's what 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 is all about. It starts with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then it goes on and talks about eventually our resurrection and how that if you've trusted Christ as Savior, one day you will be raised from the dead, your body will be raised, and you'll have a new body. And the reason why that is is because his body was raised and then changed, and it's a new body. In that respect, he was the firstborn, and he was the firstborn from the dead. And, and because of that, he ought to have absolute preeminence in all things. In fact, this, the scripture says in, in, that, in that passage, in uh, uh, Colossians 1.18, that in all things, he might have the preeminence. Why? Because there's nobody higher. There's nobody that's above Jesus Christ. And again, if he was a created God, God the Father would be above him. But it says that there's none that is higher than him. Uh, false teachers at, at, at uh, Colossae were willing to, to give Christ place. They just weren't willing to give him first place. They said he was important. I mean, even, even the Muslims will say that Jesus Christ is important, but they won't give him the, the position of preeminence. Preeminence means that he's God. And then, then the, uh, the, 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 last, the last position that, that uh, God talks about is the fact that he is the fullness of God. Look with me back at, in Colossians chapter, chapter 1 and look at verses 19 and 20. It says, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in heaven or things in earth or things in heaven. Uh, look at Colossians chapter 2. And look at down in verse, verse 8 and 9. It says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Boy, you talk about uh, advice that is pertinent to us today when information is flowing freely all over because of the Internet. Uh, we need to be careful we need to be careful of philosophy and of vain deceit and the tradition of men and, and following those things rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 9 says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
Uh, because he is the fullness of the Godhead, we need to give him preeminence. Uh, because of his deity, he could, he could do what no other, uh, no other individual could do. He reconciled lost sinners through his blood. Uh, what, what, do, what does it mean to reconcile? Uh, reconcile means to reestablish a close relationship, to settle or, or resolve an issue. Why was, recon, why was recon, uh, reconciliation necessary? Because of, the, of the, the condition of man when sin entered in, when sin entered in, and so, then death entered in, and death by sin for all have sinned. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is a classic passage on reconciliation. In verses 18 and 19, well, go up to verse 17 because this is what happened when you and I got saved. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, he's not talking about outward things. He's talking about inward things. He's talking about relationships as well. Our relationship with God totally changed the moment you got saved. Before you got saved, you were a child of the devil. After you got saved, you became, at salvation, a child of God. What a, what a difference. What a, what a blessing. And, and then down in verse 18 and 19, it says, And all things are, are, are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. He said that, that the moment you trusted Christ as Savior, your whole relationship with God changed. That, that wall uh, that was between you and God got busted down. Uh, we, became, we became children of God and we established a family relationship. All of those things changed when, when we were reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he could do that because he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So Christ is preeminent because of four things. He's, he's our Savior. He's our creator. He's the one that created all things, and we've been created for his pleasure. He's our head. He's the one that ought to be making the decisions for us. And then last of all, he is our God. Now, first of all, I hope he's your savior. I hope you trusted him and him alone as, as savior. And if you haven't, all you simply need to do is realize that you are a sinner, and that because of your sins, you're already condemned to spend an eternity in hell. The Lord Jesus Christ loved you so much because of that, that he came to earth. He, he left heaven. He left all the comforts that he, that he enjoyed up there and came down and took on a human body and took on limitations in his, in, 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 because of that human body. And he eventually... 33 years later became the sacrifice on Calvary's cross, the pure blood sacrifice for our sins. 
And then uh, the Bible says that he was buried, and three days later he rose again. He got victory over death. He got victory over our sin. He got victory over hell. He got victory over the grave because he is God, and he deserves the preeminence. And if you just simply trust him as Savior, if you cry out to him and ask him to be merciful to you as sinner, the Lord Jesus Christ will give you eternal life. So first of all, is he, is he your Savior? Second of all, it, you know, he can be your Savior, but he's not preeminent. Now, he is preeminent because of his position. He's preeminent because he's our Savior, because he's our creator, our head, because he's God. But is he preeminent in your life? In other words, is he number one? And not just generally speaking, but is he number one in every area? Is he number one in your family? Is he number one in your plans? Is he number one in your future? Is he number one at work? Is he number one in your free time? Is, is, he, is he preeminent in your life? Yeah. Is Christ the most important person in all areas. Again, it's easy for us to, to look at the scriptures and say, yes, it's obvious because he's Savior, he's Creator, he's Head, and he's God, and in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It's obvious he has the position of preeminence, generally speaking. But does he have it in our lives? Has he got control of every area of your life? Or are there areas that are yours? All needs to belong to him. He desires and he deserves to have first place in all things. Why? Because he's preeminent. Let's bow our heads, our heads for prayer. Father, we pray that you'd help us to examine ourselves this morning <laughs> And just see, Lord, are you truly preeminent in my life? Yes, you're our Savior. Yes, you're the Creator. Yes, you're our God. But are you number one in every area of our life? Father, I pray that you would help us to see that you deserve that first place position. And you deserve it because the whole reason why we're even still breathing a breath is because we're here for your pleasure. We're not here for our own. We're here for yours. And you deserve to be pleased with us because of what you've done for us. Because you're our savior. You're our God. You're our creator. God, it is our desire this morning that you have preeminence in all things in our lives. God, speak to our hearts this morning. There might be an area, there might be an issue where we haven't allowed you to get in there and be absolutely number one. Lord, there may be someone here or within the sound of my voice this morning on the internet that does not know Christ as Savior. That thing has not been settled, and they know it's not been settled. 
I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. Lord, speak to our hearts. Have your will and have your way. And above all things, God, may you have preeminence because you deserve first place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's